Welcome to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast, where we share examples of leadership and innovation. Small entrepreneurial businesses, large mega corporations, and all types of enterprises in between are seeing a global shift in perspectives around the role of business in society. From ESG investing to sustainable finance to social impact in our communities, we're on a journey to leverage data and intelligence to make the best business decisions possible. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining. This is Kisa Shreen, and today's guests are Saida Nash-Carter and Jackie Curitan of Bright Insights Global, a women-owned consultancy focused on building corporate engagement and innovation in key African markets. Now, their offering ranges from providing insights and intelligence on African markets to supporting sustainable development and infrastructure initiatives throughout the region. Jackie, thank you for joining us. And Saida Nash Carter, thank you for joining us from South Africa. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for hosting us. It's a pleasure to be here, Kisa. Really great. So first of all, what does sustainable development in infrastructure mean? And also, how did you become interested in this? Oh, wow. We could spend a lot of time talking about that, but real quick, and then I'll let Saida jump in a little bit. Um, so Saida and I um, had worked together on several projects. And over time, we realized that one is we worked really, really well together, right? Those great synergy uh, in, in kind of our belief in our, our core values and what we brought to the table. And we'd been thinking about really just bringing that energy together and doing something that was meaningful and something we're passionate about. And Africa, doing business in Africa happened to be one of them. And so we decided that with our over 40 plus combined years, we're not telling our age here, but <laughs> <laughs> that the, the expertise and experience that we'd received um, and the passion that we had for Africa, we could bring it together to help like-minded uh, organizations do better business in Africa. And so in regards to infrastructure, it obviously means, you know, the common one that we know, which is, you know, roads and, and buildings and, and railways and all of that kind of stuff. But we like to think about it as a little bit expanded beyond that to include systems. So, for instance, the banking systems and the business systems and education and all of that. Yeah, I think what I would add is primarily around Africa. And I, I think if we think about um, sustainability and we think about the African context, certainly when I moved uh, to Cape Town about four years ago and spent um, a big chunk of that time traveling around the continent, um, working on innovation projects for, for Thomson Reuters at the time, it became clear to me that there was an amazing opportunity on the table to really think about um, building products and solutions and um, services that, um, that were sustainable, not only from a sort of environmental um, impact perspective, but also thinking about them um, in terms of business models, right? Um, right. Through this lens of, in part, the UN Sustainable the Development Goals. So looking at the UN SDGs almost like a platform um, from which to um, build out these new products, build out these new services, um, and also these new business models. 
Great. And, and I'm glad you mentioned the UN SDGs in context of um, infrastructure and these opportunities in Africa. When we discuss investment opportunities in Africa, I know for some, this is going to be contradictory to what they may think they know about the region and what they've read about the region. And I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. In October 2019, Brookings reported that Africa was key to the UN Sustainable Development Goal around eradication of extreme poverty. And some UN and World Bank forecasts are saying that they thought it would be pretty difficult for Africa to achieve that. Um, some of the key issues they brought up and some of the key challenges are to increase agricultural productivity, the Africa needs to do that, and also addressing risk and conflict. Now, we all know that there are loads of stories um, similar right. to this. So how can investors, individual or institutional, how can investors really educate themselves to go beyond stories like these to really understand what's going on in the environment, what's going on in terms of investment opportunities, and really see some of the things that you all are talking about now? So we usually hear about tragedies and, and Ebola and corruption and all of that. There's a lot more going on in Africa. And I think it's it's really um, the responsibility of mainstream media to be, really begin to do better reporting around it. And by mainstream media, I'm, I'm thinking about the key, uh, you know, publications that business people look for. It's hard to get any meaningful information from that. But that doesn't mean that there isn't. So you you you, you quoted the Brookings Institute, which does really amazing research. And Reuters News also, uh, you know, while there's still room to improve, they do really decent reporting in, in regards to more current stories uh, in Africa. I think that um, uh, one of the things that the world really needs to, to, to pay attention to is, one, is Africa first is a young continent, all right, with the average age being about 20 years old, um, while the West is grappling with an aging uh, challenge. So for instance, in Germany and, and Japan, that is 46 to 47 in comparison to the 20-year-old uh, gap we're talking about. In 2025, one in five people on the planet will be African, right? So we've got to pay attention to that. And you have this really um, entrepreneurial tech innovation adaptation uh, energy going on in Africa, which is key for innovation and, and uh, you know, just where the world is heading. So I think it's, it's, it's important for um, one is for people to investors to, uh, to take the time to really um, get engaged because I think you can't afford to ignore it. Uh, then on the other hand, I think it's really just taking it upon yourself to educate yourself. I think it's, it's, you know, um, going beyond the mainstream, going beyond the, the stereotypes that's put out there in Africa and and tapping into the diaspora, for instance, that's an amazing resource uh, for anybody interested in really learning about what's going on in the ground and what the opportunities are and what the you know potential challenges are. Um, it's visiting the continent, right, and not treating it as a monolithic uh, space, right. So while you know people talk, think about Africa as a country, it really is. 54 countries with over 1,000 languages, uh, you know, that we speak. And so just the same way I heard, you know, one of our dear friends was telling us, um, you wouldn't go to, let's say, Tennessee to do business the way you would start it in, in New York. It's the same way we're asking for, you know, business people and investors to really take some time to educate themselves in the different nuances within the regions and the countries themselves. And Saeed, I'll turn it over to you to add a little bit more to that. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting and exciting uh, points around sustainability um, in Africa really goes back to this idea of leap, leapfrogging. Right? We often talk about right. African emerging markets more broadly, 
when it comes to leapfrogging and tech. So sort of jumping over existing infrastructure to be mobile phones only, for example, for um, interacting and, and connecting around information. Uh, I think what's really interesting when it comes to um, sustainability and infrastructure and circular systems, et cetera, is that we also have that opportunity um, in those spaces within the African context as well, right? So to really think about building um, infrastructure with sustainability um, at the center of those development projects, right? Um, that is here because there aren't there 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 it is sort of open in terms of um, uh, the opportunity to build from the ground up in in a way that um, is designed to be um, to have a lower um, carbon footprint um, and to be more self-sustaining. So I think there's also that to keep in mind as well as we think about what the opportunity um, in Africa just as kind of a blank slate in some instances can present to investors who want to be mindful and intentional about that kind of investment. Great. I love that mindfulness and and intentionality there, Um, particularly as we're talking about building systems from the ground up where you have so many other cultures and societies that have had systems that, to your point, Saida, there are issues there. But the opportunity here, one of the opportunities is really building that from the ground up. And Jackie, you talked about really treating um, the individual cultures as such, as individual cultures. And in context of talking about growth, one of the... um, articles from Reuters. Um, A June Reuters article points out to foreign investment in sub-Saharan Africa really growing. Um, It rose 13% in 2018. Um, And according to the UN, this reversed a downward trend over a couple of years. Uganda, looking at it from a country-by-country perspective, Uganda saw a 67% jump, largely because of oil and gas. And also Ghana is continuing to to see a jump because of oil and gas foreign investment. But what's really interesting to me, according to this article, is that the Southern Africa region is seeing different types of investments. One, an automotive plant by a partner, Beijing Automotive Group, and another is a $186 million investment in wind farms being built yes. by an Irish firm, um, Mainstream Renewable Energy. So with that being said, could you give us some specific maybe sectors or subsectors or even regions that some investors maybe should keep their eyes on in terms of things, investments that we would not have known about beforehand? So maybe just two to three sectors that are really prominent or that you see developing from a growth perspective. There is a lot going on in terms of uh sectors and, and investments and all of that going on in Africa. I think the wind firms are also present in Kenya, which is where I'm from, by the way. I did mention in my intro that I was born and raised in Nairobi prior to migrating here. Uh, so one of the things that's happening that's quite interesting um, in Africa is because of the, the war tr- you know, trade um, uh, disputes going on, um, this has created tremendous opportunity uh, within Africa. And what we're seeing is uh, people you know, that were looking to China before and now uh, don't want to get caught up in, in kind of the trade wars and are looking to Africa to solve for some of the things that they'd prior to that sort out in China. And China is a strong partner to Africa. So they're also, you know, keenly invested in, in some of what's going on. So, for instance, the textile industry, that is something that's beginning to pick up. Right. And there's lots of opportunity there. Um, obviously, the tech space, Africa is, you know, like I said, we've mentioned already, it's a very young continent Um uh, it's also a really growing cont- continent, and the urbanization is is rapidly uh, increasing, and that presents a lot of opportunity for the the um, tech uh, the mobile tech company 
in the telco industry as well. So that's, I think it's poised to double in the next few years. I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head. Um, and then mobile banking, so the financial space as well. There's been uh, lots of innovation in that space. There's still a lot of unbanked people, and I know Zayda is working on a very interesting project, and I'll let her weigh in on that. So there's opportunity in that space, so in the financial sector as well. Um, so those you asked for two, and I think I've given more than two, so I'll let Saida add, uh, add her thoughts as well. Well, that's great, Saida. Yeah. So the mobile industry, tell us about your, your great project there. Yeah, so I think that the two, just to sort of echo and, and, um, then add one more into the mix. When I, when I look at the innovation landscape, um, the startup landscape, landscape and the tech landscape across the continent, it's really sort of fintech and ad tech that are sort of the two areas that are emerging as having the most sort of activity and investment, um, here. And the project that um, you both mentioned now kind of sits at the intersection of, of, of both of those areas, and it's Bankable Farmer. Um, it's the original idea for that project came out of a series of innovation workshops that we ran with uh, the large South African banks um, a few years back. And we heard repeatedly um, this theme around um, wanting to lend to smallholder farmers and, frankly, um, other um, SMEs along the value chain, um, but not have any any access to these farmers or to these businesses, these micro enterprises, and um, also not having any visibility into whether or not they were good credit risk. And that, Jackie, you mentioned um, the unbanked or the underbanked, and this is largely um, that that sector. Um, and so we've been working um, with a large agricultural services company, um, AFRI, based here in South Africa as well, um, to essentially build out a risk model, leveraging um, alternative data sets and a more alternative approach to risk modeling in order to come up with a profile that will allow traditional financial institutions to make um, services available, starting out with loans, but um, certainly um, the idea is to expand beyond just um, uh, lending products. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is very much at the center of you know what the the um, innovation ecosystem is um, is supportive of number one, but then also is is what's needed, right? By um, by by both the, the ecosystem and um, the traditional banking sector. So, Saida, could you dig, help us dig a bit deeper into what that ecosystem looks like? So, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like perhaps personal loans, um, which would grow into maybe micro loans or business loans. So, we're starting out with the farm. Where do we see the next steps as being in terms of the life cycle um, or the trajectory of the types of loans and the types of financial services transactions that will be done um, within that particular example? Yeah, so we've been very intentional about looking at um, lending to what we're calling small commercial farmers. So while the loan size may be small relative to other loans, the goal is to loan to small businesses. So these are farmers who view their plot of land, view their farm as an entrepreneurial enterprise. So by definition, they're not personal loans. Um, they are meant to be business loans. And then certain, certainly beyond that, um, once they build up a uh, lending profile, they have repayment uh, rates and history, 
that we can build into the model, then we can think about expanding services beyond that and uh, perhaps supporting more of the ecosystem around that around that farmer as well. And would you say there is room for other institutions who aren't already in those regions, that there is room for them to enter into those regions so they can be the ones um, giving out the loan? Saeed, I'll let you answer first and then Jackie. No, absolutely. So the, the, what's at the center of the, the, the model and the plan that we're working on is that we bring multiple banks to the table. Um, you know, competition breeds better, better quality products in general. And so ultimately the goal is to have a number of different banks on this platform making, uh, lending services available to what would be ultimately millions of farmers on the platform. Great. Jackie. No, and I think Said has covered it uh, quite well. I think I'll just add that um, you know there's there's a space for also the central banks to to kind of get involved because um, you know we have the affordable banking project that Said has talked about, and then there's obviously room for other financial institutions to to come along and and um, aid in this space. Uh, the central bank role to me is one where because it's not just a matter of can they get loans, but can they get it on favorable terms? Because they might not have a credit history. And what we found, and Kenya recently um, launched a solution to try and solve for that, that it, ne- it wasn't necessarily in favor of the, 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 the small-scale farmers, mm-hmm. right? So how do we actually ensure that the interest rate is meaningful and, and favorable for the, the, um, the, the loan recipient? Uh, and so I think central banks um, do have a role to play in this as well. Mm. Yeah. One of the things that you touched on and which I think is so very important is leadership styles and yes. how we bring ourselves to the table when we are engaging um, business or otherwise. But in this context, engaging in a business transaction or in business discussions with people who have different backgrounds, different cultures, and perhaps even different expectations. I'd love to get your view, Saida, as well as Jackie, on how a leader or a business person who um, is not from the region, can come from another region, do business with an African business partner in a way that is both respectful and a way that exudes openness to the new opportunity? Um, I'm a strong believer in in the role that business leaders and businesses overall play in, in terms of just uh, progressing and moving Africa along and really allowing Africa to tap into uh, what we know as the talent. Um, so what I believe is there are a lot of organizations that are corp- global corporations that are operating in Africa today. Um, some of some of them are doing pretty well and, and uh, their their approach has been quite meaningful. And, uh, and then there's some that are really struggling in terms of really setting culture um, that is not just um, a, a transplant of what's going on in the West into Africa. But taking what we know as global best practices, honoring the culture on the ground, and then growing leadership uh, with those two, um, you know, intermingling uh, well. And so there's a challenge in terms of uh, leadership or talent development to that regard, because you can't transplant the West's culture into the African culture and expect it to uh, to be meaningful. And that doesn't mean that there's nothing to learn from the West culture. But you have to respect the African culture as well. So I think the first thing to me is is any leader trying to establish either an organization or wanting to learn or establish themselves is to really understand uh, the culture that they're going into. 
and what works and what doesn't work. And uh, that could be done in a myriad of ways. It you know it's it's obviously listening and exploring and spending some time on the ground. Um, but then also there's certain things that to me are standard regardless of where you are from a global perspective, and that is just being mindful of your leadership style, uh, being mindful of the shadows that you the shadow you cast as a leader not um, approaching it as a, um, from a position of, of, of dominance, right? So just assuming that your way is the best and, and the African way is not, and hence you have to come in and solve and save the situation. And we see a lot of that going on, not just in the business space, but also in the non-for-profit space as well. And I think it's really coming in understanding, but also valuing the talent that is there and then figuring out how to tap into that and grow it. And I think, to me at least, um, uh, using this approach and, and really focusing on on building a culture that is meaningful, uh, not just to the business, but to society, then tends to have this uh, bleeding effect uh, across uh, some of the things or concerns or issues that we have. We've talked about the um, the youth. And while it is, you know, it's an opportunity from a talent perspective, right? So we have the aging concern in the West in, in regards to talent resources. We have this blooming um, population in, in Africa. Um, if we don't rise to the challenge and ensure that we are actually grooming, engaging, and providing meaningful employment for this, um, this young population, there are risks and challenges that could present themselves as a result of that, of our, our uh, inattention. And some of those are you know, some of the risky migration, uh, you know, um, patterns that we've observed recently, right? So when people are trying to leave because there's no opportunity and there's no meaningful job, or if they have a job, it's not meaningful in terms of growing their career. And the other is just being radicalized, right? And that becomes a concern, not just for Africa, but for the world. So I think that, um, and I've gone around about a way in answering this because it's, it's such a short time and I think all of them kind of tie in. Um, I think it's really just being mindful that there is a culture, there's a rich culture uh, within Africa. And when you're going to do business to understand that, uh, to appreciate that, tap into that, uh, because I think it would be foolhardy not to. Uh, And then also kind of just really uh, bring what you know as business best practices alongside as well. So just really finding a way to marry the two. Right. And I, and I know, Saida, you have a slightly different perspective in that you went from the U.S. into you mentioned that you traveled around to different countries. Um, South Africa, I guess, is your primary location. But I'd love to hear from you. How did you how did you manage to really bring your leadership style, but on that same end, be able to listen and adapt? Or is that what you did when you travel throughout the different countries or um, even in your your place of residence now? How did you manage that? Right. So, I mean, as I mentioned already, I was born and raised in Nairobi and, and moved to New York and I now call New York home. Um, I have deep passion and deep connection and, and a network uh, in Africa uh, while working for Thomson Reuters. And that didn't come out in the bio, but I did work for Thomson Reuters for 20 plus years. Uh, I did, uh, you know, part of my, one of my assignments was really to go back to the continent and just really assess um, some um, kind of the culture we were going through, um, an enterprise change and really just understand the regions and, and what they were doing well and some opportunity areas. And so I did go to West, East and South Africa, right? So that just really gives you an appreciation of, of all three. As an African, I know inherently that they're different. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so what, what is the one thing that you would recommend to someone who maybe is in your shoes, maybe who is American or from another Western um, country? How would, how should we show up? What's the one key that you would leave with someone? Again, I, I go back to the value in, in being a leader who listens, 
and really pays attention. And part of that project in partnership with the leadership then, the, the managing director, was really just to understand and listen to uh, the the employees and what the ideas were. And I think it's really creating a space where people can bring their full selves to work and voice what they bring to the table. They're on the ground. Their customers are not just people far off. These are customers and people that they intermingle with. And sometimes a solution that might work in New York or London or Paris or wherever it may be might just need a little tweak um, when you get to Lagos, for instance, right? And really just being a leader who recognizes that and then taps into this resource that is your employees who connect it to the ground and understand what the way of life is and how business is there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that um, at that point through that project that I'm mentioning was really to create a space where employees could come back to the table and share some of this insight Mm -hmm. because you want to make sure that it works, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And granted, as a global organization, you want to have a set of standards that's consistent throughout. But if it doesn't work in a region, um, I think it is in your best interest to tap into uh, the talent that you have within the company or just go around and visit your customers. Mm-hmm. They will tell you. They'll tell you what works or what doesn't work. And I think there's the assumption because it's done well elsewhere that it's going to work, it doesn't work. And I think it's just that little tweak, listening, going out, connecting with the customer and making sure that you're valuing the voice that your employees bring and the insights they bring. Wow. I think that's, that's uh, yeah. So listening, understanding, recognizing that there are several countries um, and each one has yes. its own rich culture, such valuable pieces. But I want you to leave us with this. What is the big idea? So what do you think coming down the pipeline next year in the next couple of years um, that's really going to take us by surprise for those of us who don't have the insight that you have? What's the big idea? What's the big thing coming that you want to predict? Oh, wow. <laughs> Africa is happening. Africa's time is now. Actually, people, I say, you know, I say Africa is happening, but I think Africa's happened. Is are you along? Are you involved um, in this space right now is the question that people should be asking themselves. I think mm-hmm. I mentioned a couple of things, reasons why we can't ignore it. But in terms of, uh, you know, recent WEF report, out of the 10 fastest growing economies, six of those were found in Africa, right? And so I I believe that, um, you know, so it is alluded that there's, you know, when you come to the West, there's lots of infrastructure and establishment and institutions and all that. And it's hard to change because in Africa, you almost have this, I don't want to say a clean slate, but a, a space that allows you to build systems and organizations for today, right? Because you're, you're really starting from scratch. You're not trying to change a legacy system in some cases. I think that to me is great. I think there's a lot of um, activity around um so I want to say like the green space. Mm-hmm. So you talked about the wind farms mm-hmm. and I think it's just really utilizing what is the natural resources within Africa. Uh, and then also in my mind, I think that um, the other thing that we're beginning to hear about, um, it's not happening rapidly, but I think it will begin to pick up. And that is uh, Africa is is rife with natural resources, right? There's no land in this world or as, as rich in resources as Africa. Um, we export a lot of what uh, comes out of that. And it's moving from exporting to actually uh, producing and selling or exporting the um, produced goods, right? So the, the not raw material, but uh, finally uh, moving it to, to production. I think that um, it's hard for me to answer what is that big thing, because I think it's going to be uh, production, moving from uh, exporting raw material to 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 produce goods. I think it's going to be the fintech space uh, Said is talking about. I think that's really really exciting. Um, I think um, I think it's going to be uh, how do I say it? I think it's going to be 
Well, there's the there's the business sector, but that is a little broad. Yeah, yeah. I'll leave it at those two because my mind is kind of racing there. But I think the fintech space for sure. I think the textile industry, like I talked about, uh, you know, uh, the industry is beginning to realize that they need more options, right? So mm-hmm. we look to China for the longest, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there needs to be that space. Um, oil is another one that's really, uh, you know, we're finding oil in Africa, and I think it's really um, also adding to the mix as well. Well, that's great. Well. From listening to being actively involved to understanding opportunities and recognizing a rich culture. Yes. Recognizing and a, respecting. And respecting a rich <laughs> right. culture, recognizing the youthfulness of the country, although the country has one of the longest histories and legacies. They're a youthful country right. at this point in terms of age. And really working together. Opportunities in Africa seem to abound. Jackie Curitan, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Saida Nash Carter, for joining us from South Africa. Thank you. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. Thank you for joining. See you next time.